This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, why is it so gross in here? It's like slime. Oh, sorry. I forgot to all over the walls. Yeah, I forgot to I forgot to wash my hands. It's uh it's just a bad habit. I don't think it's just your hands, Dave. <laughs> I can smell it. It's uh it's a beautiful note of citrus and refuse and uh, oh, yeah. human waste. Mmm. Cadmium? Do you smell cadmium? <laughs> I think I smell burnt toast. On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And my name is uh, Debu. And I'm the Machine. This is a you're podcast. Like with it. You're like, no, no, I'm not keeping that in. <laughs> I, could, I could do Kairu. My name is Kairu. Kairu and Debu. <laughs> my name is Kyle. No, <laughs> this is this is a podcast. We're sentient. This is a pod. This is a podcast. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its power to transport us across time and space, so now we're on our way back to Earth. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Godzilla vs. Hedera. Bum, bum, bum. You know, of course, a big thank you to our patrons, Green Girl, YYC, and It's a Conspiracy Podcast. But Dave, uh, I mean, there's a couple of things. I would love to know what your history with Godzilla is. Uh, in general, well, Godzilla is... But before you answer, oh, I'm going to cut right. you off right there, Dave. Wow. Is that, you know, here just a few weeks ago, we had on Sarah Rowe yes. of Scream Scene Podcast. And on that podcast, because they talked about horror films... They, I believe it was last year, did an episode on the original Godzilla from 1954, which is, I believe, their longest episode. It's nearly three hours long. Oh, my God. And they give a supreme amount of context for how that film got made, where Japanese cinema was at the time, and how it kind of influenced stuff going forward. So I thought, why not bring on the other host of Scream Scene, to give us a little bit of context for the 11th Godzilla movie that was made. So uh, let's call up Ben Rowe. Ben, are you there? Hello? Ben, oh good, I'm so glad you actually answered your, your phone. <laughs> uh, you're, we're calling from space, of course, so I don't know how time and distance works, but... Collect. We're calling collect. As long as, as, long as the charges are on your guys' side, 
I'm fine. Let's say they are. Let's say that they are. Excellent. And um, <laughs> uh, do you have like just a few hours to sit and talk about uh, Godzilla versus Hedera? I always have a few hours to sit around and talk about Godzilla versus <laughs> Hedera. So, uh, yeah, Excellent. absolutely. Perfect. Of course, Ben, you are co-host of Scream Scene, the podcast that is devoted to reviewing every horror film ever made in chronological order and rating them. Mm-hmm. Uh just to, for people to get a sense of it, like what is the film that you most recently talked about on your show? Yeah, as of as of recording, the most recent movie we covered was From Hell It Came, uh, which is a very, very cheap B movie from 1957. It's about some white people on a Polynesian island who have to contend with a talking, walking tree monster. Well nothing problem Godzilla, I was gonna say, there's nothing problematic about that and actually kind of goes with our theme here today weirdly enough about environmentalism yes oh no are you going to get all preachy this episode ben uh, i was i was telling dave here beforehand before we called you up how on your podcast you did a episode devoted to the 1954 film godzilla that's right which is one of my favorite episodes because it's almost three hours long with a lot of great context that's right I think where we need to start off with is just like your history with the Godzilla character. Sure. Um, So I have a very long history with the Godzilla character, and it's very indicative of who I am as a person. When I was probably seven years old, the hype train for the Roland Emmerlich uh, Godzilla movie starring Matthew Broderick had really started Mm -hmm. to grow. And the Matthew Broderick, by the way, the actor that Dave thinks every white person looks like. He's not wrong. I just want to put that in there. <laughs> um, if, you, if you like put every white person in like one of those like computer programs that amalgamates right. the faces into like an average. Yeah. yeah no, I can it's see Matthew it. Matthew Broderick. Yeah. yeah. So that hype train was really, really intense. They, they really hyped up that movie pre-release. And part of that hype became a lot of low rent VHS companies. Uh, putting the classic Godzilla movies, or at least the dubbed American edits of them, onto VHS. And I was a kid who was very particular about doing things in order. Uh, I guess I still am, because Scream Scene, the podcast, we do the movies in chronological order. Um, So I figured I had to see some of these older Godzilla movies before I saw this new one that I was excited about, which, of course, is not true at all. Those movies have nothing to do. Not even a little bit. (laughs) Um, So I got a bunch of the old ones on VHS because they were like five dollars or something. So I got the Godzilla King of the Monsters with Raymond Burr and, you know, King Kong versus Godzilla and uh, Godzilla versus Mothra, a few others, whatever. And just, you know, because I was seven years old, became a huge huge fan because those movies are awesome when you're seven years old and uh became such a fan that by the time the emmerlich movie came out in 1998 and i went to go see it for my birthday when i was turning eight um i hated it because i had now seen enough of the original movies to know that like this this ain't godzilla this ain't the shit i want (laughs) Uh, I, I just envision you at eight years old just turning to your parents like, this is bullshit. Yeah. What was this movie? <laughs> yeah. Opening yeah. sequence. Yeah, pretty much. Like the, the you know, the U.S. helicopters shoot Godzilla on the bridge. And I'm like, what the? Well, this yeah, is nonsense. I think that is the biggest thing. Like the, if you see even just a handful of Godzilla movies, the thing that is so stark in that 1998 version 
the military never defeats Godzilla. They always come, they shoot at him, he destroys them, he keeps going. Yeah. And in that 98 film, it's like the military comes in and Godzilla is defeated. And you're just like, wait, what? No, yeah. that's not that's not what happened. Nothing shows the difference between like an American and Japanese perspective better than, you know, the Japanese perspective on Godzilla, who is meant to be a personification of atomic energy, is mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do to defeat this guy at all. And the American right perspective is military we got this (laughs) bigger guns nothing america can't defeat if i had blood it would flow red white and blue well that's interesting like for for me i'll say i don't know how much i've actually said this on the podcast before but every year i usually give myself some kind of film challenge and it's usually like what has like a long running series that i have either a blind spot on or i've seen one or two of them in and i just want to fill in those gaps just as an example this year Halloween happens to be one of my favorite films of all time. Like, I really love that John Carpenter movie, but have never seen any of the sequels, like not a single one of them. And I know that they're all bad, uh, but it's like, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to watch that and, and watch the whole series. And then, so I'm halfway through and my, my theory is correct. Most of them are trash mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as the sequels go, but at least it's filling in some of these, these things. But in, I don't know, it would have been like 2013 ish timeframe. I was like, you know what I should do? I should watch some of those Godzilla movies, not realizing that at that time there's like 28 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the gosh, was that when the first? Yeah, because 2014 was when the Gareth the Edwards new, one started. Yeah. yeah, Godzilla American version was coming out. So I was like, well, that gives me enough time. But at that time, they weren't readily available no. on streaming That's yet. Right. So I had to go to the dark web <laughs> to get most uh, to get access. And so I saw them in very piecemeal fashion. Mm-hmm. I watched some of them with the original Japanese. Some of them were dubbed. Some of them, I'm very sure, were like VHS rips Mm -hmm. of them. Like It was just varying levels of quality and consistency that I got through them. That is how my first experience with this is in a very (laughs) compressed time frame of like two to three months like going blowing through 28 <laughs> films of godzilla and be like oh my gosh and I, I i also kind of think the same thing where a lot of the sequels i don't really like all that much but there's oftentimes at least a scene like that's pretty funny here it's like oh that's interesting that they're doing this uh so there's always something inside of the godzilla franchise that i have that i can talk about growing up uh i i collected them so i've owned most of them on like VHS and then again on DVD and then again on Blu-ray. Um, now is probably the easiest time to see most of them compared yeah. to any time previously. Like we, you can actually get the Japanese versions of all of them in North America now, which has never really traditionally been the case. So it's, it's, it's been interesting, like piecemeal you built that collection and you know, I, there are some of them where I hadn't seen you know, I was really familiar with the American version, but hadn't seen the Japanese right. version of, of a certain movie until I was much older or whatever. So, but it's like any long running franchise. Like I, I find it most comparable to like James Bond or, or mm. Batman or something like that. That's been around for decades and decades in that it has reinvented itself over time to sort of fit the needs of, uh, you know, the particular right. time period. Right. Yeah, and especially, like, this is where it gets really complicated with Godzilla, because there is, like, the original Japanese, and then how it was released to North America initially. Like, even the original Godzilla film, Mm -hmm. 
comes out, was it one or two years later into America with all the Raymond Burr stuff that they added in, who's basically just narrates what is happening in the movie. Yeah, because there was a feeling initially that American audiences wouldn't watch a movie that was nothing but Japanese people. Like the, the whole idea of dubbing a foreign film for wide market, like movies like Rashomon or whatever had come out Mm -hmm. on the, um, like the art cinema scene, right? Right. You go to your like local, like indie art movie theater and see it. But like, you know, Godzilla wasn't for art stuff. It was for the drive-in. Right. And so they figured they needed to make it palatable. So yeah. So they got Raymond Burr and they did some editing tricks to make it look like he was in the movie. And (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of stuff like there's a lot of those movies um, that are have different versions. Like I would say Godzilla versus Hedera, the movie we're talking about today, has three versions, really. Right. <laughs> um, and in terms of what you can find readily on home video, basically one of those versions, if you're watching it on VHS, I know which one it'll be. If you're watching it on DVD, I know which one it'll be. Right. And if you're watching it on Blu-ray, <laughs> I know which one it'll be of those three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's nice enough because if you get really into Godzilla lore, there's a few different like series, I guess mm-hmm. is how they usually block them off. Yeah. So you you pr- you might be able to pronounce this properly. This is what what series is this technically? The first fifteen films. This I is think, the Showa series. Showa series, right? Which is from the original Godzilla all the way up to basically the end of the seventies ish, mm-hmm. and then there's another one in the eighties, early nineties, and then another one into like the two thousands. Yeah, so that was the the Heisei series, uh, the Millennium series, and uh, if they make a follow up to Shin Gojira, which is the most recent one in Japan, that would be the Reiwa uh, series. Yeah, um, and they Godzilla is the movie that like like the Godzilla series invented the idea of like the continuity reboot. Like that, right, like that yeah, thing that like yeah. you, you're talking about the Halloween sequels, right? Halloween sequels have done this twice where they've had a sequel yeah. come out and they've said, oh, this is a direct sequel to the original movie. None of the sequels before this counted. And we see Correct. a lot of series that do this nowadays. But Godzilla was like the first series to do something like that. Um, Godzilla did the shared cinematic universe thing like 50 yeah. years before Marvel did. You know, just because it's such a long running series, it's it's hit a lot of these franchise signifiers long before. Uh, American franchises did. Now, Dave, you have been uncharacteristically silent. So uh, I basically forced you to watch the original Godzilla this week for the first time. (laughs) So I would love to know your thoughts on an outsider of being like, I've never seen really one of the Japanese Godzilla movies. What was your what was your take? Good. Yeah. Outsider is a good term. (laughs) So I'll I'll uh, jump in now. I I loved it. I was surprised by it mm. i think there's something about just post-war japanese art that is just so powerful and direct and raw mm-hmm. and kind of yeah culture forming has been brought up just a quick spoiler going into this godzilla movie it fell apart in the 60s and 70s i don't know what <laughs> happened uh, maybe too much lsd but falling apart um, from the first sequel but i'll get into that in a moment uh well i don't just mean godzilla oh, I movies see. i just mean uh, japanese film mm. but um yeah, it was it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And as much as there's some giggles because of how they had to construct Godzilla's face, it still plays out really well. I watched it with my son and he's seven and he loved it. And there are parts where he's genuinely uh, worried and laughing and scared uh, because that's the kind of film that can hit those notes without making it feel like a stupid B movie something like you can you can show that to anybody yeah. I well, think that's really fascinating and they would yeah. appreciate it Timeless. it's a really powerful yeah. film um did you watch it yeah. in Japanese or were you watching the 
American version with Remember? No, no uh, in Japanese on gotcha. the Criterion. So we watched uh, what I guess that's supposed to be the yeah, original yeah. Um, yeah. version. By the way, it's very nice of uh, very nice for that hologram of your son to show up here up on the spaceship, Dave. It was a very sweet. All oh, right, so. yeah, the deep and rich yeah. fiction. Yeah, we uh, we zoomed <laughs> yeah. it. We were both on Zoom watching it. On At a least if you screen. guys are, you know, being up in space, you're you're pretty safe from COVID this whole time. You would think. I yeah. don't know. Kyle, Kyle's been coughing a lot. It's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little um, worried. I, I just just to jump in, I think that is the biggest thing when when talking about Godzilla is that especially that very first film is such a unique experience in the whole rest of the series because I think people when they think of Godzilla they think of the sequels in in much of the same way that I feel that um, when people usually think of Rocky, they, they actually think of the sequels to Rocky. They don't really think about like the, the original Rocky mm-hmm. film. Rambo. Uh, like, same that's where thing, most of yeah. the, like most of the iconic imagery from that, like yeah. the songs, the everything that's all in the sequels. It's not actually in the original Rocky film. Is that, is that true? People don't talk about the original Rocky film. Am I, are we just nerds? I just feel I'm just like, saying, like that's the, the only songs and well, like the things good, that people remember. In pop like culture, uh, the pop culture memory of it. Right. And same. And yeah. the thing about Godzilla is like, Rocky people four, think about yeah. bad dubbing they think about monsters you know guys in monster suits fighting each other and yeah. destroying uh you know uh little uh cardboard cities and and kind of this cheesiness and some of that is inherent to the sequels like the sequels get cheesier some of that is also added once they came over to uh, America, because a lot of people grew up with seeing like the dubbed versions on TV mm. as a kid or on VHS as a kid or whatever. And those and just the the fact of bringing them over here and dubbing them, you know, adds a certain layer of cheese to everything. Mm-hmm. And I think people get shocked when they see the original, which is like a very serious piece of work, like yeah. it, like, you know, any failings of the special effects aside, you can tell the people making that movie were, you know, making a serious point. And it, and oh, it yeah. even is more powerful when you when you learn that uh that was the first movie made in japan that actually like addressed nuclear weaponry at all uh because the uh, during the american occupation of japan um there were censorship rules on japanese cinema and one of them was like you couldn't talk about the bomb um and so when the occupation ended godzilla came out and that's like the first movie that the Japanese produced that was dealing with any of those kinds of feelings about the bomb, about the nuclear uh, devastation. Even the the movie itself, the original Godzilla opens with this Japanese fishing boat that gets attacked by Godzilla. We don't see him initially. It's just this flash of light. And then the boat washes ashore with everyone dying of radiation sickness. And that was a direct dramatization of a historical event that had happened not too much earlier from the movie coming Mm -hmm. out where a Japanese fishing boat was caught in the fallout from the Bikini Atoll atomic test. And those guys had come back to the shore and they all had radiation sickness and the tuna was all radioactive and all of these things. So, I mean, it was a movie that was playing off of very like real in the news present day issues. Yeah. The scene that always sticks out to me from that first movie is I think it's on the first time that Godzilla comes up and is uh, the buildings are falling down, but it's the the mother and the two kids yeah. and they're huddling saying like, we're going to be with daddy soon. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy shit, like this is so much more stark and like depressing. And the fact that it came literally nine years after those bombs were dropped mm-hmm. on their nation, like 
these are people that lived through something awful and it's like they're dealing with it through art and it's it's very raw like when you watch that it's like oh this is not what i thought godzilla was yeah absolutely and the way that the series sort of changed and evolved from there over time is is really interesting you know and it the thing to keep in mind in the back of your head is that godzilla is the representation of atomic power atomic energy a nuclear technology and so there's a lot of reasons why the character of godzilla shifts over the course of the series um and those reasons include like financial like things of like we want to appeal to this demographic we want to get these things you know we want to make this kind of money but on a cultural level it's it's also reflective of japan's changing attitudes towards that technology because you know japan ended up adopting nuclear power having a lot of nuclear power plants in the country became a very technologically forward nation uh, in the like post-war economic boom and so as japan's relationship to technology and atomic power changed the depiction of godzilla changed in those movies yeah I just I, as a korean person i just gotta add the irony of uh this idea that they were able to express themselves and deal with their war crime, like they're suffering from the war while they still do not acknowledge their imperial and uh, colonial presence in Asia. You would think that I wouldn't want to watch Japanese films for that reason, but they're better than (laughs) uh, anything else. So it's a tough uh, concession to make. But yeah, I I just had to throw that in there. And it did strike me both in the original film and the film we're about to watch how that uh, core philosophy is actually the same, mm-hmm. but it's so twisted into different mm-hmm. shapes. Specifically, I think it's a rhombus. Talking about that, this is the 11th Godzilla film that was released. Yeah. Okay. And I know that, Dave, you did a very quick like Wikipedia search of the other films just to read up I some of to. them. Yeah. This is a v- just a very quick run through of what has happened mm-hmm. up until this time. So in 1954, of course, we have the original Godzilla. Talked about that. For me, it is like it's a five out of five film. Like I love that film a whole lot. That's followed up one year later in 1955 with Godzilla Raids again. And again, this is all me editorializing, but I find this to just be a very cheap sequel Mm -hmm. that just does not live up to the original, but does uh, set up the recurring theme of Godzilla fighting another monster, this time with Anguirus, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like a Stegosaurus sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. The first sequel was produced very quickly to the extent that um, the team that made the first movie didn't really return for that first sequel. They were busy doing other movies and it was produced very quickly. And I think if I had to sum up Godzilla Raids again, it's like the Pearl Harbor version of Godzilla Mm. in that it's mostly focused on these like two pilot buddies and their like love triangle and it's 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 called Godzilla raids again. It should really be called the Japanese raids again, because uh, there's much more a sense of like we can defeat Godzilla and like this is possible and like rah rah. And like it's it's much mm-hmm. it's much less of that, like hopeless dirge that the first movie yeah. is. It's, it's a very big tone shift. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention. One of the other things I love about Godzilla is the Godzilla theme. Like, I think it's one of the oh, best yeah. written pieces of music, which I always get bummed out that not a lot of the sequels reuses until, like, much, much later into the series. Um, anyways. Yeah. The, it's also the thing. It's like, why don't the U.S. ones use that, too? Because it's right. a great theme the, to use when Godzilla shows up. Absolutely. The core team behind the original Godzilla series, the Showa series, um, 
really consists of a handful of guys that you should know about. There's Tomoyuki Tanaka, who was the producer of the right. series, sort of the, the Kevin Feige of his time. There's Ishiro Honda, who was the director of the original movie and directed a number of the sequels. Yeah, bunch of the sequels. Um, there's uh, Eiji Tsuburaya, who did the special effects. And the thing to understand about the special effects in the original movies is they were basically a second unit. So Ishiro Honda was off shooting the stuff with human beings in it, and Eiji Tsuburaya mm-hmm. was off shooting the stuff with guys in monster suits. Then you have Akira Ifukabe, who did the music for the original movie. And um, basically the the deal on are you hearing the Godzilla theme in the movie or not comes from is Akira Ifukabe doing the music or not. If it's not him, right, they aren't right. using his themes, and at least until after he died. And then they started just using them kind of willy nilly wherever. Uh, and then the last person who's really important is Haruo Nakajima, who's the actor playing Godzilla, the guy in the suit. Right. Um, and those are kind of the core guys. And when you look at the first 15 movies or so, there are movies that get made by that team. And then there are like these off season movies that get made by what <laughs> I call the B team, where yeah. uh, Honda and his guys might have been busy doing something else, some other different movie. And the Godzilla sequel of that year got given off to the to the B team. And you can really gotcha. tell as you go through the series, like where those yes. dips and those peaks and valleys are. Are we, are we getting A or B? This is, uh, well, this is, this is like the C team, this movie, but I, I can talk a bit yeah. more about that once we've yeah. kind of gone through some of the other sequels here. We'll get to that. Um, so after Godzilla Raids again, there's a bit of a break uh, until 1962 when King Kong versus Godzilla is released. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first Godzilla movie in color. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, while this is pretty goofy, I, I do have a kind of a bit of fun with this yeah. movie if you take it on kind of its own terms. What I think is wild if you read up on the production history is that this was supposed to be Frankenstein versus Godzilla, mm-hmm. which like is like so mind-blowing to me that that was the direction that they were going to go initially. King Kong versus Godzilla is a lot of fun. It's really, really goofy. Mm-hmm. It really isn't the same tone as the first movies at all. Like the second movie no. has a different tone from the original, but it still feels like it it takes place in that like world yes. um king kong versus godzilla trends more towards like out and out comedy which was and it's made by the a team it's made by the guys who made the original movie but their feeling was that the premise was so over the top that like it made more sense to treat it as a comedy and in fact i love the way they marketed that film in japan right. um it is the uh until recently the highest grossing godzilla movie adjusted for inflation in japan it was the most popular in the series for a very long time but the way they marketed it was they did interviews with Godzilla and King Kong that were shot and edited like sumo wrestler promos. Amazing. So it was it was like promos for a, a big sumo fight that was going to be coming up was how they marketed it. And that's sort of how they treated it in the movie as well. 1964 has Mothra versus Godzilla. This is also another one that I actually quite like. Yeah. This is much more lean now into science fiction. I mean, and fantasy. Mothra is controlled by two singing fairies. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is where I discovered, at least in, for my sensibilities, I think I enjoy the Godzilla films where the human story inside of it is much more grounded in reality rather than it also being super science fiction. Mm. That's that's a general rule, I find. But this one is all about like corporate greed yeah. and like the excesses of power and stuff like that. Yeah. Mothra vs. Godzilla is fun. Yeah, like Mothra vs. Godzilla takes it back to being about something. 
Um, yeah. And yeah, and it, it is addressing the economic boom of Japan in the early 60s and the way that that has a negative effect on, you know, the people around Japan, right? Uh, the the people of the South Seas and, and all these sorts of things. It, it, it is worth mentioning that Mothra versus Godzilla is, you know, the fourth Godzilla movie. It is also the second Mothra movie. Right. Because uh, Mothra yeah, kind of a crossover. Yeah. Mothra debuted in her own film, which was another Ishiro Honda fi- picture. And then this was the the crossover. And this is sort of the beginning of the uh, the Toho uh, monsters cinematic universe. Basically. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's true. Because, yeah, this this also in 1964, we see the release of Ghidra, the three headed monster. This is the first film to have like Godzilla be out and right. He is the good guy mm-hmm. in the movie rather than being like the menace antagonist. Yeah. So he gets to team up with Rodan and Mothra. I mean, it's not amazing, but again, this is another one that I have a little bit of fun with. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as you like, uh, like shoot 'em ups and stuff happening in the uh, in the human story. Yeah, Ghidra is a big turning point for a lot of reasons. Yeah, you have Rodan coming in, who had his own movie before this. Mothra returns, and it's like this is like the Avengers of the series right, in a way, yeah, because yeah. this is you have these three monsters who debuted in their own movies, and they have to team up to defeat a bigger threat from outer space. And what's interesting about the shift of Godzilla as a character from being the menace to the hero is that it's like addressed in the story because there's a a really bizarre scene in the movie where Mothra has to convince Godzilla to give a fuck about fighting Ghidra because Godzilla's like, yeah, he's just destroying human cities. Like, I don't give a shit about that. And and yeah. Mothra has to it's convince just like monster him. talk back yes. and forth. And, it's and like, it's, it's weird. it gets translated to us by the fairies because they're telepathic. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's like addressed in story that Godzilla goes from being a villain to being a hero, kind of a reluctant hero. Yeah. And this is his arc over the course of the series. D- Dave, you can understand how this naturally goes from the original Godzilla to this one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun. The one thing that stuck out to me uh, when I was panic Wikipedia searching after pausing the uh, first... Well, we haven't yeah, watched the film yet, it. but uh, I paused it in the intro because I, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because um, I remember... Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but Godzilla uh, was oxygenated yes. and uh, turned Correct. into yes. bones. Uh, oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, and it turns that's right. Out I should have... These are all uh, meta Godzillas that are coming out of these same pockets of Earth. Yeah, I, should have, I should have mentioned that in Godzilla Raids again. It's just like, oh, it's just another Godzilla. That's, just, yeah. that's what they it's, explain. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, at the end of the first movie, uh, after they kill Godzilla, the professor character in that movie says, you know, it's really unlikely that that was the only one, that there would just mm-hmm. be this one creature at the bottom of the ocean. It's, it's more likely that there's a whole species of them. And then, yeah, in the second movie, that Godzilla pops up and it's it's been that second one through all the other sequels yeah. um, up to this point. There's also a whole other race of robots like me, but we'll get to that in season four. Another th- interesting thing, too, I find is that for most of these films, like there's a lot of recurring actors throughout them, but not that are always playing characters. a different character. Yeah. yeah, the characters are different, but it's the same actors playing them. And anyways, it's interesting. Uh 1965, we have Invasion of the Astro Monster, yeah. which is one I don't like. I think it gets way too fixed out in this weird alien subplot thing that I don't care about. <laughs> However, 
this does give us the infamous Godzilla victory dance. Yes. <laughs> that sometimes people use as gifts where he like jumps up with his hand up in the air and like then does it with the other hand. It's such a weird moment, but uh, that's the one thing you'll remember from this movie. Yeah, I, I actually really love Invasion of Astro Monster. Um, it is very science fiction. They go to Planet X. There are aliens. Um, I just really love the Planet X aliens. They they're they're really like fun in terms of like a, being a campy mid sixties movie alien. What I mostly love about that movie and a lot of the Toho monster movies of this era is just the amount of imagination on display because they don't have you know the money, the special effects, everything to really pull off the ideas that they have, but they're going for sure. it anyway. They're not letting that kind of stop them. They're not letting that put like a barrier on their imagination. And I really like that uh, about these movies. Um, But yeah, this is the point in the series where Godzilla starts to become increasingly anthropomorphized. He he gets more and more of like a personality over time and becomes less and less of a facial expressions. Yeah, exactly. And, And that and, you know, and they and they as the series goes on, they adjust the suit and the design so that his arms are longer and his face, you know, the eyes can blink and all these different things so that he can be more anthropomorphic. Uh, 1966 has Ebra Horror of the Deep, which I like fine enough. Um, but uh, this is you can also tell how much this has been influenced by James Bond in this film. Mm-hmm. It's very much a James Bond movie for the human story, like spies and all this other stuff mm-hmm. that's going on. Uh, but Godzilla doesn't show up until like 45 minutes into this film. Like It takes a while for him to actually even show up. So it depends on how much you like that James Bond stuff. But the monster battle, I think, is actually weirdly violent. But yes. he rips off the arms of the other monster. It's <laughs> It gets pretty wild. That was not even supposed to be a Godzilla movie at first. Mm. Um, it was planned to be a King Kong movie, uh, which is gotcha. why oh, right. Godzilla gets woken up in a cave by lightning and has like a weird fixation on the lead female character. The girl. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then it, it they changed it to Godzilla. uh for various reasons yeah i think fine is a is a great descriptor of that yeah. movie so and now in 1967 is the release of son of godzilla and i know that depending on your level of fandom this is a divisive film i fucking hate this movie <laughs> i hate it so much i think it's awful um i hate godzilla's son mm-hmm. so much as a character <laughs> this is the movie though that very much veered it's like we are now marketing this towards children yes. this is a kids series that we are making it so it's super slapstick but the the biggest i think thing is that nothing really happens and it just reuses the previous godzilla movies as stock footage for most of it so it's just like why even bother anyways i really hate this movie son of god uh, son of godzilla um you're you're conflating it a little bit with mm-hmm. uh, all monsters attack uh, Son of Godzilla doesn't have all the stock footage. That's that's all monsters oh, attack. Um, but they're very right, similar. Right. Um, but yes, you are right about the change towards kids films, which mostly happened because um, Toho's rival studio, Dae, uh, started producing their own series of giant monster movies uh, in 1965, the Gamera franchise. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And if you if you don't know, Gamera is a giant turtle from Atlantis who can fly because he can bring his arms into his shell and then shoot like jets of fire out that propel him through the air. Um, and that we've all been. There. Yeah, exactly. And that series was marketed to children from the get go. Gamera is uh, the friend of all children. And those movies were very, at least initially, very successful. And right. so this was a move to try and compete with those movies on their own terms by by really explicitly making Godzilla films a, a children's series. 
Um, anyways, Godzilla's Sun is awful. Don't watch it. Um, <laughs> in 1968, we have Destroy All Monsters. This really is the like Avengers Endgame. Yes. It is the cap off of so many things. It literally has, let's put every big monster we've ever made into one movie. Mm-hmm. And they just throw everyone in. A lot of them are like just very brief cameos. And kind of it's a little anticlimactic because they face off against Ghidorah again. Yeah. But he was beaten up by like three monsters in the last movie. So when there's like nine monsters that are beating him up, it's like, but they, when I say they beat him up, they beat the shit oh, out of yeah. him. It is, it is wild, like how far they go. Yeah, it's their, like their 12 on one. Um, it's, it's also like the exact same plot as Invasion of Astro Monster. It's just, yeah. it's the same story with more monsters in it, but um, it was meant to be the last movie in the series. Right. Um, the movies weren't making as much money anymore and they were getting more and more expensive to make. And so they decided to just do a big capper, like, let's just throw every monster in. Let's do everything we've ever wanted to do. Let's just do the biggest movie we can, and then we'll call it a day. And um, that plan sort of backfired on them because then it was really successful. It made a lot of money. And if there's one thing movie studios don't uh, like to give up, it's more money. So they continued making more. Uh, So All Monsters Attack comes out in 1969. So the one that's right before the movie we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. You're right. I did conflate this with Son of Godzilla, but it's also because I fucking hate this one, too. I really hate it. So this one is about a kid who imagines he has a friendship with Godzilla's son. So when he sleeps, he talks with Godzilla's son, literally. Yep. talk. They have conversations back and forth. And Godzilla's son can now, like, get bigger or smaller at will. This is the one that has a bunch of that um, stock footage from previous films. But I think... I just have a big problem, one, with it was all a dream narratives. Mm. And the fact that Godzilla's son is in a lot of this, is it's a big nope for me. <laughs> Anyways, I don't really like this one very much at all. All Monsters Attack is important to talk about for the context of this movie. Yes. Because it is, it is very much a children's film. Very much a, a film for young children. Uh, the, the, the kid who's the star of that movie, it's basically, that movie is like if Home Alone had scenes where like Kevin McAllister went to sleep and his dreams were scenes from old Godzilla movies that he's watching. And from those dreams, he learns that he needs to stand up for himself. And that's why he defeats the wet bandits at the end. Like that's what the movie is. Just, just a second. I have Hollywood on the phone right now. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to pitch them a, pitch them an idea. So, you know, it took me a really long time. I really hated that movie for a long time. It took me a really long time to find things in it to like but i do sort of recognize now that it's interesting in the way that coming out in 1969 it's talking about a relatively new phenomena among japanese kids which is that he's a latchkey kid um Mm. like his parents are gone all the time which is why he's able to get into a bunch of trouble and he has to learn to kind of fend for himself if you view it as a movie for like five and six year olds like right. the themes of like you have to stand up to bullies and and you have to learn to 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 fend for yourself and all that are are valuable. Like it's it's not it's not a bad movie for what it is. It's just a bad movie compared to like if what you wanted was more good Godzilla movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's fair. I guess. That movie was the last film produced by that A team that I mentioned earlier. So. Following All Monsters Attack, um, Eiji Tsuburaya, who did the special effects for all these movies, passed away. Uh, Ishiro Honda, who had directed most of them, had a falling out with Toho, mostly over money, uh, and left the studio. 
And so that left Akira Fukube and Haru Nakajima and Tomoyuki Tanaka. Um, Fukube uh, would work on Godzilla movies in the future, but not for a long time. Uh, he, he largely left the series at this point as well. Um, so you just had Nakajima in the suit and Tomoyuki Tanaka uh, producing the films going into this movie. Most of the old guard had left. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think that does provide some good context here for us. So now that we've gone through all that, Dave, is there any one of those that were described that was like, I might check that one out? Like any, mm-hmm. anyone? No. no. Okay. I didn't no. think so. I, yeah, I, I was... Uh... Trying to research, and I read all these synopses on Wikipedia, and I didn't have a single thought that I needed to watch <laughs> any of them because just reading the plot lines uh, upset me in principle as a human <laughs> being. So uh, I don't plan on watching any of them. Bless you back because there is only 20 more movies after this one to then catch up <laughs> on as well. So <laughs> yeah, I would, you know what I would do? I'm sure this thing exists on YouTube. From what you guys are describing, I would watch all of the, uh, a montage of all the fight scenes. Yeah, I right. think uh, it's just, to see, it's like watching pro yeah. wrestling highlights uh, just to see some goofy, yeah, yeah. dumb watch shit. Watch them like jump yeah. on Ghidorah's head and stuff like S- that. And, like, skip all the fake story stuff. Um, yeah. yeah all right. Well, with that in mind, let's do this. Let's go and thank some sponsors, Dave. And then when we return, we'll be talking in more depth about Godzilla versus Hedera. Dave, do you ever just kind of want to live in a city that gets destroyed by a kaiju? Just to get it over with? Don't we live in that city, Kyle? Isn't that what's happening to this province We're right now? We're on a spaceship, Dave. Oh, right. We're heading back. We don't even really know. We can't even comprehend the level of buffoonery that is happening in the province that we we come from it's yeah it's a good thing we're in space i mean it would be horrible to be uh physically in a space where someone was uh making strange decisions every day it's a good thing that this is not a political podcast today <laughs> i'm trying so. to hold back uh, all right yeah uh well Keep asking here's the questions thing. i'm ready here's the thing Colin Davis the Machine, of course, Dave, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Although, even though that's the case, we're not just Alberta-focused, Dave. We, of course, were transported to the Calgary International Film Festival earlier this week had a great chat with ben epstein he's tweeting about it his friends are liking it so we're basically famous is what i'm trying to say it's free like a bird who is that nelly furtado is she flying like a bird i'm she's like a bird some kind of bird i i her tweet i made a bad bird joke didn't work you're gonna keep this in this episode of calendar day versus the machine is brought to us by Rumi. Some people think it's pronounced rummy, but it's not. It's roomy because it has an umlaut. Umlaut. I have some questions for you, Dave. Mm. Cold drafts? Oh, no. Flickering lights? Oh, spooky. And where's that leak coming from? Sorry. I might have a problem. I have to check my doctor. You, you, are, yeah. you are a leaky, <laughs> leaky man. If you've ever wondered what's really going on in your home, Rumi's Ask a Home Inspector service can help. You can connect with a certified professional home inspector by phone or video call and get your questions answered. Like, why is my friend so leaky? What's what's up with this guy? Just ask Rumi. Yeah, Rumi will let you know what's easily fixable. 
Dave is not a fixable person with a little DIY or when you might need to call in some professional help. Not that kind, unfortunately. Visit Rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and book your Ask a Home Inspector, that is in quotes, Ask a Home Inspector appointment today. Kyle, you're in such a good mood today. Just (laughs) running some, running it. All right, well, uh, I've got my message uh, from Pod Power. You should do the reverb there. Pod Power. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices. You should do it there again. Amplify <laughs> the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. Wait a second. Wait a second. We're talking about other podcasts on our show. No, no, we're in space. We're space podcasts. Bullshit. <laughs> this episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to, and I'm going to butcher the phonetics on this. What's the cheesiness? That's a new podcast with an inside look on Pilipinex identity in the diaspora. Can we do reverb there too? Is it that? Isn't it diaspora? Diaspora. Hmm. Diaspora. Aura. Hey, you're the English major. Just uh... diasp or a. <laughs> Chismus is the Tagalog word for gossip. Kyle, this is your kind of bag, baby. They're really going to drop the T. <laughs> Subscribe to hear weekly episodes about disappointing your parents, breaking it to your friends that you're not Italian, uh, maybe that's inside joke, trying to figure out why you punched a car, I can edit with that. Hey and Dave, my- why did you punch that car? <laughs> that could be just an episode more. by itself. Oh, uh, I've got some stories about cars. What's the cheese? I should point out too, I mean, I'm actually really interested in listening to this show, to be honest with you. I don't think you need to be Filipino though to disappoint your parents. I am... <laughs> <laughs> the best example of that. I'm a podcaster. The, Jesus you're still Christ. allowed home. <laughs> What's the cheese? This is produced by CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. Download it wherever you find podcasts and on What's the Cheesemus.transistor.fm. That's T S I S M I S. Cheesemus. I just want to point out this is how white I am. Not in. 10,000 tries would I get to that pronunciation no. with those letters. No. I mean, <laughs> I'm not white, but I'm raised white. And when you see T-S-I-S, they just stop. Let's get back to Coachella. All right. So we just watched a monster battle. Uh, I want to jump right into it. Ben, what are your immediate thoughts on this rewatch of Godzilla versus Hedera? So this time around watching the movie... What I mostly was paying attention to were what I call the multimedia aspects Mm. of the film. There's a lot of unique filmmaking here in this movie compared to the previous films that had never been used in the series before and would never be used in the series after this. There are animated portions that serve as like um, almost as um, little like chapter breaks. Slaps to the face. (laughs) Like they signal to you like, you know, we're heading into the next section of the story. Um, There's a lot of like filmmaking techniques here with, you know, at one point the movie goes into black and white really gradually right. and then snaps back that's into right. color. Um, there's a lot of editing that's very bizarre. It's, it's all very influenced by the trends of like counterculture hippie cinema of the time. Yeah. Honestly, as we're going through 1971 with predominantly like a North American focus, I will say, uh, you can kind of see that influence in a lot of films where that hippie movement, psychedelics, like it's still 
feels like there's those aftermaths going on in films. And like, this is the Japanese version of that mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is. So there's choices in this movie. Let's put it that way. They made choices. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is the only Godzilla movie that opens with a song. A Bond theme. Yeah. Um, yeah like, like, like a James Bond movie. It has like a title song, which is unique in the series. It's not a song. It's just a recitation of the chemicals yeah, the, the, that were killing the, the, Japanese people. How about are, the, yeah. uh, there, there's also, of course, that the, I think the weird brass section that plays whenever Godzilla shows up, right. like it's a, such a weird mm -hmm. thing. It is. So the, uh, the, the, the music in this film is by, uh, Riichiro, uh, Manabe who had never done music for a Godzilla movie before and would mm. never do music for a Godzilla movie right. after either. Um, which is kind of the story for a lot of the people who worked on this yes. movie. But Dave, I, I, again, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say uh, from top to bottom. But I, <laughs> I'm so curious to know someone who like, oh, my gosh, just saw the original Godzilla for the first time, loved it. And then jumping 10 movies to the 10th sequel. What uh, what are your immediate thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't know where to start. It's such a bad movie. I think that. What was more interesting while we were sitting on the couch together was that I wasn't watching the movie. I was on my phone trying to understand what Japan's relationship to, to pollution and their environment was. They were passionate for a while, but then ended things on bad terms. Uh, because this film has nothing to do with anything else. Uh, and it just feels like they smoked a lot of pot, ate a lot of mushrooms, and a bunch of kids uh, cut together some school footage of garbage. It's... So bullshit. Some of the things are so uh, over the top like that. What is it? Uh, all the TV screen montages of the of the people mm -hmm. yelling at mm -hmm. you that politicians are wrong. And like all of this stuff is so weird. Fish heads. Everybody's mm -hmm. heads yeah. turn to fish. Like yeah. it's just super, super random. And, uh, you know, the acting's bad. Nothing makes sense. The uh, I just, I, I, I felt... It was, I, I was almost at, it was so bad, it's good, except it wasn't. So it was just so bad, it was bad, I think. See, uh, I am on the side of it's so bad, it's good in, in the most part. So I, <laughs> I have to say, uh, we talked about this off mic before, but maybe it's worth having like a deeper discussion on it. I think everyone's threshold is going to be vastly different. But there are things that I consider weird bad and other things I consider weird good. And for me, this film falls into that camp of weird good. It's like, yeah, everyone's head turns into fish. They go into black and white for some weird re reason. Uh, Godzilla can apparently fly now. <laughs> like, all this stuff is so bonkers weird. Yet, I kind of have a fun time watching this film. Just because it is so unique versus every other sequel that's come before it. And possibly, it could just be that I hate all monsters attack so much. The one that came out right before this is like, well, it's not that it's not bad <laughs> that way. So this is, it does like, this is never going to be in like my, my top five, even or top 10 of the best Godzilla movies ever made. It's going to be kind of in the middle probably of the pack, but I don't know. I, I respect it for what it's trying to do because they're trying for something. They're trying to be different, unique, and they're, they're trying a lot of stuff. Not all of it works, but I, I don't know. Not I just that like works. that they're trying something rather than like, well, we're going to do the same old thing we've always done for the last nine films. You know, um, that bit in Princess Bride where he talks about taking Iocane powder a little bit at a time until he builds up right. immunity. So that's sort of like me with um, old Japanese monster movies. I've seen so many of these. I'm so deep <laughs> into these that 
um, a lot of the things that I think would turn off like a, an average viewer just kind of slide right off my back. Like I don't really I'm immune to it. And so for me, like I really as I will ignore, like I can see the things in it that a normal person would be like, this is terrible. But from my perspective, I really like this movie because of what you just said, Cal, about how different it is. When you've seen a lot of these, and and not just the Godzilla movies, but the Gamera movies, the Mothra movies, uh, there was a, just a lot of these being made. There's a lot of one-offs. There's there's so many of the the movies in this genre that were being produced around this time. When you've seen a lot of them, anything that is different feels like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Um. And so I've really always, ironically, <laughs> in a film about can't breathe. Uh, speaking um, about. Yeah. A being that farts toxic waste. <laughs> Speaking yeah. about that pollution <laughs> issue, um, it was awful in Japan at the time. Uh, this movie set in Fuji City um, on mm-hmm. Sagura Bay, and like the pollution in Sagura Bay was considered to be so infamous that like no one in Japan watching this movie would have been surprised at the idea that like this bay is so polluted that a toxic monster has just risen out out of it um right. it was the pollution problem was really bad yeah they they were going very hardcore like industrialization at this time from my understanding mm-hmm. so there were certain cities that for two-thirds of the year you could not breathe outside like it just you couldn't this, have you read some of these diseases they were getting no it's pretty fucked up there's a uh... A disease called itai itai, which translates to like ouch ouch sickness. So basically, the people would get severe pains in their spine. Uh, so they'd get softening of bones and kidney failure. And that's from cadmium, which was a key mm-hmm. uh, lyric yes. in the song. And there was a uh, methyl mer- mercury poisoning called uh, Minamata disease. That's really fucked up. It's like ataxia, numbness in your hands and feet, loss of vision, loss of hearing and speech. Some people were driven insane, became paralyzed, went to comas, or death within weeks wow. of diagnosis. <laughs> uh, there's just some fucked up shit going on there, man. This movie should get some points for the fact that it is trying to return the Godzilla series to being about something in some way, because the original movie was a very strong statement against nuclear power. Um, the, mm-hmm. the, the quote that always comes back to me about that original movie is from uh tomoyuki tanaka who is the producer uh about the original movie he said that essentially to him the theme was that mankind had sinned against nature by creating the atomic bomb and now nature was taking her revenge on mankind and that was what he viewed godzilla as and you can see that ethos sort of reflected in this movie as well the intervening movies some of them have had themes but a lot of them have just been fun entertainment right and so i do give this movie some points for trying to be about something again this movie set in the city of fuji which had a population of 180,000 people and produced wastewater into the bay equivalent to the daily sewage of tokyo wow so that that's how much pollution was going on and so i respect that what you are seeing here what i think the thing that stands out the most about this movie and why I think it, it can read as a bad movie is that there's a real tone confusion here. This movie does not know who its audience is. And that's, I'd agree with that. That's partially because of this conflict it has between 
wanting to have a more serious story with themes again. Like we see a lot of people die in this movie. Um, people get dissolved into skeletons and people yeah. get buried under mountains of toxic waste and people's flesh melts off. And you hear news reports saying this many people died and this many people died. We haven't really had that in the Godzilla series since the first movie. It's been clear in the intervening movies that people have died, but the movies haven't focused on it. They haven't made you like look at it. There hasn't been anything like that scene in the first movie you talked about of the mother huddling with her kids. Like a lot of the subsequent movies in between have been, you know, movies where a news report says, oh, the evacuation is basically complete. And then the monsters come in and wreck the city kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to just be having fun with the action and the the mayhem. And so this movie brings back the idea that there's like a human cost and that people are dying. But that's fighting up against the fact that it's a movie that is coming out of the evolution that the series has gone through up to this point. This isn't like a hard reset. This is still part of that natural evolution. And so our lead character is a kid and all of the characters in this movie are actually basically stock characters. If you've watched a lot of these kinds of movies, like they, these movies eventually developed like stock character archetypes who you, you would fill in with the cast. Like we have our little kid in short pants. We have the professor who in this movie is his dad. We have, the professor's wife, who's his mom. We have like a young person to be, you know, our, our representative of the youth who in this case is the kid's uncle. There's like his girlfriend, like those are our characters. And those are very stock characters in the series up to this point. So, you know, the lead character is a kid because the lead character has been a kid in the past few movies. That's how the series evolved. And so we have this weird clash happening between the fact that the series had gotten very goofy and silly and kid friendly and the fact that this movie wants to address the fact that like pollution is a real, you know, serious issue. And so you've got things like Godzilla using his atomic breath as a propellant to fly at the end of the movie. <laughs> and the music swells into this like, you know, uh, like Philip Sousa kind of march. I was, I was about to say like a Sousa march. And, it's like, and, what is happening? And it's clearly meant to be fun. Like it's clearly meant like the yeah. movie is signaling to you. Don't take this too seriously. Right? Like that's what that March is doing. Like you aren't supposed to be taking this too seriously, but the movie's also showing you people dissolving into skeletons from pollution. Yeah, and pretty being horrifically. Like, yeah. yeah. And so it's there's, I think if there's a problem in this movie, it's a tone issue of not knowing is this movie for kids? Is it for the the hip teens? Who is it for? I wanted to see more bones. <laughs> well, that's the thing, honestly, because you have Godzilla who is basically a Three Stooges character. It's like, well, I ought to, like, he's like wiping his hand, like, like yeah. I'm, I'm mad here now. And then, yeah, then it turns into like, is this a cutscene from Seven? Like, I don't, <laughs> like, it's, it's such a weird tonal shift that happens sometimes. And Dave is going to get so mad at me. But, like, my ultimate rating I'm going to give this movie is going to be, like, in relation to other Godzilla movies and not really, like, in relation to other movies. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, that's I think the that's only the way only, that you can look at I it. I think that's the only way you can do it. Um, Roger Ebert even said once in a review of one of the Godzilla sequels uh, way yeah. down the line that, you know, I I forget what he gave it. He gave it, you know, three stars. I don't remember the particular sequel that he was reviewing, Mm -hmm. but he did say essentially exactly that, which was that you can't judge a Godzilla movie and how good it is next to like the Godfather and how good the Godfather is. You have to judge it against other Godzilla movies. Otherwise, it's a completely apples to oranges, you know, situation. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's that's never my position. My position is it needs to be judged in the experience in itself and uh, not necessarily with historical context. And I think that, you know, sitting with you guys who are big Godzilla uh, fans, there's, um, <laughs> yeah, an apologist <laughs> again. There's a lot of justification. There's a lot of uh, uh, inference of the intent of how this thing ought to or could have been. Uh, and they're all valid. It makes the conversation much more interesting than me just sitting here talking about how like, weird <laughs> this film is to sit through. But at the same time, I think that these have to be assessed in what it's like mm -hmm. to sit through them. And, uh, and those are two things. And I think, Ben, you brought up the, those are two different things, particularly in movies like this, because if uh, this is not a one for me, but it, it's because, like you said, it's trying to do something. It has no idea what it's trying to do, but it's trying. So you're like, ah, it's not the worst thing mm -hmm. I've ever seen. But it is so bad. <laughs> no, but but I think the other thing too, the, the, what I tend to perhaps even overinflate in the stuff that I like is that I find, this is me painting with a very broad brush, I'm going to say, but I find a lot of like the big blockbusters of the present day, I just find, I guess for lack of a word, boring. Like it's like, okay, I, I know exactly how this is going to go. Like there's probably no surprises here. And for a film like this, it's like, well, at least I'm not bored because it's something wackadoo that's happening every like 10 minutes. So sure, I'll strap in. This is a this is an occupational hazard of like if you're a critic of any kind, if you're a movie critic, an art critic, a food critic, mm -hmm. what happens is you start to develop really different tastes from, I think, the norm. Like you see this sure. with food critics a lot, right? Like there'll be a restaurant that a food critic will rave about and you'll go and you'll be like, what the hell is this food? This is not edible. And the reason the food critic raved about it was because it was so different from everything else that it was like a unique experience. Like the stuff that's weird in this movie, like the fish heads and the animation and all of the strange stylistic quirks are things where it makes you think like, oh, yeah, modern blockbuster movies like do not take swings like this. Like they don't try to do anything weird or different or interesting. And to, like I said, it's the Iocane powder thing. Like if you're a normal viewer, you're watching this and you're going, this is weird and dumb and stupid and bad. And then for me, who's got the immunities, I'm like, oh, but this is it's so cool that they're trying to do this different weird thing. And so I, I yeah. fully acknowledge I fully acknowledge that like my opinion on the movie is like an outlier sort of to the mainstream, right? That like I'm I'm in too deep. And so, you know, so my view on it is very different than like the average person. Well, this is and it's like to pull the curtain back here a little bit. We are actually recording some episodes out of order. So like last week, technically was on uh, Escape from Planet of the Apes. Mm. And I'm a huge, huge Planet of the, oh, like, original Planet of the Apes. I love series. those movies so much. And the reason is, is because each sequel is completely different than the first yes. like it just does something wild and weird yeah. and i just respect that because in a world that i live in where kind of every sequel is like is the same when i see that series is like we're gonna do this great cool like, that's what happens why, when you when you have... kill all of the characters and blow up the world at the end of every yeah. single movie the next movie has to be completely different. <laughs> but but what if they invited time travel in 30 minutes? Maybe that could be how they... <laughs> yeah. But you're right. You know, even right. the, the Marvel movies that aren't, you know, technically aren't even see like the same series, right? Like Shang-Chi and Doctor right. Strange and Iron Man. These are all supposed to be technically different series about different characters. And yet that studio has developed such a strong... Um, 
like formula that you're, you know, you can be watching Doctor Strange. And even as this weird psychedelic magic stuff is happening, you're still going like, isn't this exactly the Marvel. same as yeah. Iron Man? This is the same movie, yeah. right? So, yeah. So I, I see what you mean on on that count. Yeah. But, but I'm actually, this, not to make this a Marvel discussion too much, is kind of why I'm excited to see what Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange movie looks like. Because what I'm hoping is that he does get a little bit of free reign to do stuff. Because... Whether you love or hate Sam Raimi's films, like he makes choices too. Like he decides, I'm going to just do this weird thing, right? And that's kind of what I like of, of him as a filmmaker. So, to to talk about free reign and making choices, um, I want to talk a bit about the director of this movie, uh, sure, Shimitsubano. So Bono, as it might not surprise Dave, had never made a feature film before this. <laughs> um, are you, wait, 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 Dave, are you surprised? Uh, no, no. Okay. Yeah. Just, I would be check. surprised if I had heard of this guy before. Yeah. So, so, um, because Ishiro Honda had left the studio and as, and Iji Tsuburaya had passed away and, and all of these things, Tomoyuki Tanaka was forced as a producer to inject new blood into the series. Like he just, there was no choice. He had to get new people. And so there was a feeling like, okay, well, if we have to get new people, let's, get some innovative people. Let's get some people in who are going to have different ideas and a different take on how to do things and, and all of this. And Bono had won an award. He, yeah. Um, I, this, this is going into some of our backstory, but I think what, what was it called here? I have it written down. It was called, uh, he done this thing called uh, birth of the Japanese Island. Mm-hmm. It was the only other thing he had directed before this, which was shown at the Japanese world fair in 1970. Mm-hmm. Like that was his only other thing he had done. Yes. As far as like a main director. Yes. And so he had won this award for this short film. And so that was kind of his ticket in. And he got the contract with Toho and he wanted to make the next Godzilla film because he thought he had, you know, some interesting ideas about what to do with the series, where to take the series next, whatever. Right. And so they were like, yeah, okay, we'll give you we'll give you a shot. Right. And this is sort of like if if you know, like this is a guy who probably if he hadn't made this movie probably would have ended up making like weird experimental like art films, but he yeah. like wanted to make a Godzilla film. He wanted to make a, an entry in the series because he wanted to bring that, I don't know, social consciousness protest sensibility back to it. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and to be very clear too, like he had like the, the bona fides to back some of the stuff up. He was a second unit director for Kurosawa. Yes. Like he had worked on throwing the blood, lower depths, hidden fortress, like, he didn't come out he of knew what he was doing with the camera. Like, yeah. yeah, he was not like some guy they pulled off the street. Yeah. Um, so he he comes in to direct and he co-wrote the script uh, for this with a guy named Takeshi Kimura. Right. Which is not his real name. Um, that's his. Oh, is it? Okay. So Takeshi Kimura is his his pen name. The guy's real name is um, Kaoru. Joe Clark. Mabuchi. No. <laughs> uh, but Takeshi, Takeshi Kimura was a longtime hand. He had written mm-hmm. Rodan, he had written um, War of the Gargantuas, he had written Destroy All Monsters, he had written King Kong Escapes, he'd written a bunch of these movies before. So they kind of had uh, an old hand with the screenplay teamed up with this new guy, which I think is possibly the source of why we have these like very stock Godzilla characters of like the little kid and the mm-hmm. professor and the, you know, this kind of like the movie in its broad strokes 
if you just read a plot synopsis, honestly reads like any other Godzilla movie. Yeah. Like the broad strokes of it are the same. What makes it weird are the specifics. And I think the fact that they had this traditional screenwriter teamed with the new guy is why that's the mix that's going on between it being, you know, pretty standard stuff with some weird specifics. That's my pickup line. Do you want to get weird specifically? And I I think there's actually two other things, too. This was made for less money than the film before it, Mm -hmm. so it wasn't as high of a budget. They were given 35 days to shoot Mm -hmm. and no second unit. So there was only one unit to film everything. Right, which, which, as I pointed out earlier, the earlier movies were done with one director doing the live action stuff and one director doing the special effects. And this was not done that way. The Bono was on it for all of it. So the, the special effects stuff was integrated more with what he was doing um, with the live action stuff, Um, which could be a good thing when you have a director who wants to be as stylistically weird as this guy. Yeah. So, and with the music being a totally different guy and so, so there's a reason why this movie feels really unique in the series. And it's because like mo- for the most part, the crew is people who, who had never done this before. And they would end up not doing this after either. Because the other reason why they got, why Bono had such a free hand to go so mm-hmm. weird and experimental on this is um, Tanaka, the producer, was hospitalized. Yeah, like a few days into shooting. Yeah, and he, he was sick. He was sick and in hospital for m- the majority of the shooting of this movie. So it was totally hands off. Bono could just go do whatever he wanted. He made this movie. Tanaka gets out of hospital. The movie's out in theaters. Tanaka sees the movie and he goes, you ruined Godzilla. And yeah, like straight up, he hated it. He, he hated, hated it so much. It. Yeah. And so he, he actually barred Bono from ever doing a Godzilla movie again. And even from directing for Toho again, he has later credits at Toho, but it's as a writer or as a producer. Um, But Mm -hmm. he wasn't allowed to direct for the studio anymore. And so, you know, Dave talks about like had never heard of this guy. Like, this is why he did this. And then the blacklist ruined his career. The guys (laughs) in charge were like, nope, we're not letting you do that ever again. But he thought when he was making it, he thought like he was going to be the next Ishiro Honda. Like when he was making it, yeah. Bono thought like, yeah, I'll be the I'm the new guy. Like, I'll do the sequel to this Well, to, to the point. Like, I mean, I think that's why that weird like text, like, uh, is there another one or whatever it says at the very end right. when, when it flashes on screen? But he he was like halfway through writing the script to Godzilla versus Hedera 2. Yes. Like, he was he was in it. He was like, I'm making Godzilla films for like the rest of my career. Yeah. Uh, and it would no- prove not to be true. But what's what's weird is that it, he does come back to Godzilla years later, right? Because right. he is the he produces the the Gareth. I always get the names Gareth wrong. Edwards. Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards. I want to say Evans, but he's the uh, uh, the, the raid guy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so Gareth Edwards, his version of Godzilla, he's a producer on. That's right. And uh, he even uh, directs a, a short called American Godzilla short film in 2014. I think as a advertisement for that movie Mm -hmm. but then passes away in 2017 but still retains producer credits for godzilla king of the monster godzilla king of the monsters and the recent godzilla versus kong yeah um so his his, he came back to godzilla years later bono always wanted to make more godzilla like even as he wasn't allowed to um Mm -hmm. like it's something he remained passionate about and tanaka died in 1995 or 1996 and so once tanaka was dead like, you know, the, the old guy who didn't like you isn't at your company anymore. So right, maybe right. you can rise up again. And he somewhere along the way, Bono got the rights to making a Godzilla film in America. 
this was after in 2004 Toho made a movie called Godzilla Final Wars which at that time was intended to be the last movie in the series it was the 50th anniversary the movies weren't making that much money anymore they figured let's just you know be done with it and for a long time it was it was for 10 years they didn't make anything that Gareth Edwards movie came out in 2014 um and in the mid in the middle of that decade somewhere Bono got the rights to do a Godzilla movie in the States and it was going to be called, it was going to be in IMAX and in 3d and it was literally right. going to be called something along the lines of like Godzilla 3d to the max. Awesome. <laughs> Godzilla versus the Neytiri. Exactly yeah. Yeah. And, um, that version of the project fell through, but when the Gareth Edwards movie was kind of kicking off, they ended up basically working with Bono because he had, the rights to make a Godzilla movie in the US, right? And that's mm-hmm. why he's even got the producer credits on the two that were made after he passed away because he still right. technically gets producer credit because it's it's he he's he's the link. He's the link between those movies and Japan basically. Yeah. Is why, you know, and is why those movies are more like the Japanese Godzilla than the 1998 Godzilla movie was. So yeah, so he's had an effect on the series. The next movie should be called Godzilla versus Long Drawn Out Legal Battles. I was going to just point out, uh, and then we'll do uh, the rest of this backstory here, but there's one little projection note that I found interesting here. So uh, Kenpachiro Satsuma, mm. who was in the hetero costume, yes. uh, needed to have emergency surgery done. Did you read about this, Dave? No. Where <laughs> he got super sick and they were like, uh, you need to remove your appendix because it's about to burst. And he was still in his hetero uh, get up and it's like, it's going to take too long to get you out of this. So like, put you down. We're going to do this surgery right now. That is when he discovered that he was resistant to painkillers. Mm-hmm. So he got to feel everything while in the hetero costume, which I can't imagine anything worse, to be honest. The suit actors in those old movies were, I mean, they were stunt men, but they, they had to be really resilient. Like there's a reason mm-hmm. why Haruo Nakajima played Godzilla in the first night, you know, first 15 yeah. movies part of it was like he brought a certain personality to the role blah 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 that you hear fans talk about but a lot of it was just he had the stamina and endurance to sure. do it because these were costumes that weighed you know 100 200 pounds you were under the heavy studio lights um you could barely see like the godzilla movie or the godzilla costume the holes for the eyes are in the neck in between right. the scales somewhere so you can barely see you can barely breathe uh, Godzilla comes up out of the ocean in a lot of these movies. So you had to go underwater and come up or jump into the water. Nakajima nearly drowned playing Godzilla many, many times. Um, he would get set on fire by squibs and stuff. And the the way in and out of the Godzilla suit anyways is um, the spines are Velcro and come apart at the back, which means actually that if you're the guy in the suit, you can't take it off yourself. You, you right. have to be let out of it by someone else. So if you're something bad happens, um, you're kind of screwed. The costumes did get lighter as the series went on and they needed Godzilla to do more like fighting and, and judo moves and, and whatever. But the first movie, the costume was so big and thick and heavy and bulky that um, he actually passed out under the lights one time from the heat and right. the costume just stayed standing because it was so heavy. Yeah. So nobody knew anything was wrong. Because it was just still standing there. So these guys had a ton of endurance. Um, the hetero costume was the heaviest they had ever made up to this point. Because it has like all these different. And when I talk about the hetero costume, I mean like the full size one when he's yeah, walking. Because yeah. the monster has 
multiple uh multiple <laughs> forms like he's a like he's a jrpg boss he has he has multiple yeah. forms mm-hmm. um he's the one that is the most powerful in the moment of the fight yeah it's classic yeah. <laughs> so uh the one where he's bipedal that suit has like multiple layers on it it's made out of all these heavy layers of foam rubber and was just yeah the biggest heaviest suit they'd ever done because they wanted him to be bigger than godzilla is um and so yeah they they had to like do that operation on him my other favorite piece of trivia about that is um kempachiro satsuma took on the role of godzilla after haruo nakajima retired so he becomes the actor in the godzilla suit in the 80s and 90s movies so basically in this movie nakajima is like fighting the guy who will replace him mm-hmm. eventually yeah oh interest i you know i should actually know this and i don't but have they ever done like since since godzilla has moved into being a cgi construction mm-hmm. have they done motion capture ever for that or is it just a cgi I creation i don't know about the american movies but yeah. um the most recent japanese film uh shin, was godzilla? shin godzilla and that movie um what they did is the godzilla in that movie um they had sort of a partial suit that they shot and used for mocap and then they filled in the rest of it and in the in the actual finished film it's a cgi creation right but they did mocap in a partial suit so that he would still move like a guy in a big heavy suit because they wanted it to still feel like godzilla if, if he didn't move in the right way it wouldn't feel like the character my favorite bit of trivia about that fact is who the mocap actor for Godzilla in Shin Godzilla is. Andy Serkis. <laughs> Andy Serkis. No, <laughs> no um, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but um, have you guys ever seen Ron? I have not, but probably Dave has. Yeah. Yeah. So in Ron, there's a character who's a blind man who plays the like the flute or whatever and um he's the brother of one of the other characters and uh he's been living on his own as like a hermit for years and the movie actually ends with him on the cliff and he's blind and he's got his stick and he almost falls off the cliff and like drops his scroll down off the cliff and the movie just ends with him poised above this big cliff face about to fall off of it that actor is who plays godzilla in oh interesting in Shin Godzilla. I, I will say dave of anything that's the one i think you should check out if you ever want to watch a godzilla sequel because that's kind of an interesting reboot of yeah the character Shin from a godzilla. japanese point of view instead of the american point yeah of it's view. a total reboot um and it's mostly a response to the fukushima disaster and the fact right. that the government was completely useless and genre wise i would say it's almost closer to you know those like disaster movies that are like an all-star cast because everybody's oh, only like in the, the movie for, adventure yeah like yeah. Or, or or um contagion you remember that movie oh yeah. like those kind of disaster movies that are more about like the procedure of dealing with the disaster than anything else it's like one of those movies um but it's all about how the japanese government is full of old people who are too bound to politeness and tradition to get anything done i can't wait till next year's calgary uh, independent film festival where we get all our uh, coronavirus oh, movies oh, sure. about yeah, the yeah. alberta government <laughs> yeah no great. kidding 
to fill some other things in here, so Godzilla vs. Hedera was released on July 24th, 1971 in Japan. It would be released in the United States as Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster in July of 1972. It is currently rated 6.1 on IMDb. Uh, there is nothing on Metacritic, but on Rotten Tomatoes from 12 critics, it's at 58%. And from 5,000 users, it is at 49%. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray in multiple different releases with different names. You can also buy or rent it on iTunes and in Canada, and I believe elsewhere, you can stream it on the Criterion channel. Yes. Uh, its budget was 300 million yen and doing some conversions and stuff. I believe that's just under 1 million US dollars is what that would have been in 1971. As with most of the movies we've been talking about, I don't have any concrete answers as far as what it actually made. So I don't know, Ben, do you know if this was like considered like a success or anything? I mean, they kept making sequels. Yeah, so. it was successful. Uh, like, I guess it was successful enough. Although I think, honestly, the reason why they kept making sequels was more that Tanaka hated this movie and wanted to like get the series back on right. track. Um, sure. The next movie after this is very, very traditional. Nothing motivates people quite like Spike. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this has always been for a long time considered to be like the odd one out in the series oh, yeah. um, because of its eccentricities. Shin Godzilla is probably the movie after this. Ha- How do I phrase it? Feels this? the most different. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, because the thing about this movie is, and this comes back to what we were talking about with the Marvel thing. The reason why this movie feels so different is because the director had eccentricities that he was allowed to indulge in. And right. Shin Godzilla is by um, Diake Ano, who is the uh, creator of Neon Genesis Evangelion. And that's a director who also has a lot of eccentricities and was allowed to <laughs> indulge right. them in that movie. Um, because otherwise, a lot of the times the Godzilla movies have a very like cookie cutter, you know, um, right. assembly line kind of feel to them I mean there's certain ones that stand out uh, that can feel a little different here and there that I really like but for the most part they kind of blend together in a sort of uh, homogenous soup you know the critic scores that you were just giving that were like between like 49 and 61 yeah. percent basically feel about right to me I think when yeah. when I when I talk to people about this movie it's a lot of people who either like really love it for what it is or really like hate it for what it isn't i think um <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah, yeah. I, I i i so i i think rating it about in the middle is sort of you know where you average out when you have a film that's very mm-hmm. like divisive like this one you know speaking about the fact that it's a totally different crew from the previous movies the um special effects for this were done by a guy named um teriyoshi nakano who had been Subaraya's apprentice and now had to step up to the to the the plate, step up to the big leagues. And mm-hmm. there's a few things that he does that Subaraya never did. Um, Subaraya never liked having monster gore. He never liked having like, you know, monsters get like slashed or be bleeding or have mm. like impact, like impalements or, or things like that. He, he really preferred like bludgeoning damage i guess you could say like like you know wrestling yeah. kind of stuff um and in this movie we have things like godzilla when he's fighting hetero just like stabs his claws like right into him and starts right. like ripping out like innards of this guy and things like that um oh that's okay 
By the way, that just reminds me of something that I really wanted to bring up. What are the two orbs that he rips out of Hedera? Like, what are they? Like, I thought <laughs> I, I, both times I've watched this movie, basically, I'm like, those are the eyeballs, yes. right? But they're not, I don't think, supposed Like, I don't know what they're away. supposed to be. It reforms yeah. with new eyes, yes. right? That's, nope, Dave's yeah. right. Random. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, those, so are his, like, those are his eyeballs, and then, yeah, he just reforms with new eyes. Okay. Simple. Interesting. Kyle, you're I, overthinking it. You're overthinking guess, it, Kyle. It's like, well, yeah. this is like, what, are these the ovaries? Like, I was like going like way <laughs> off base. Like, I what thought, is going on with these? I thought it was going to be, you know, they talked about how it's an alien creature that landed in a meteorite and it's fed yeah. by pollution. Mm-hmm. I thought that was supposed to be the, uh, not the progeny, the, uh, you know, the base cell. And mm. he yeah, yeah. discovered the real alien inside. And then I had to rewind it because I was like, why is he fighting again? And I missed the part where he f- it flies out of its own carcass. Yes. And I yes. was like, oh, oh, there's another one. Like, yeah. I, I thought yeah, there's yeah. two it's, all of a sudden. It's honestly it's... such a like weird, cheap ending because <laughs> the 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 ending is like that the scientists have built this contraption to kill the monster. Uh, I don't need to go into more yeah. detail than that. Which, which doesn't affect Godzilla, but does right. affect Hedera somehow. The, yeah. the, the contraption doesn't work for reasons. And ultimately, it's Godzilla who has to save the day by powering the contraption with his atomic breath, which makes all the sense in the world from like a screenwriting perspective. Like you want the humans to come up with the answer to defeat the monster, but you also want it so that Godzilla is like, you know, going to be the one who actually defeats him. Right. From a screenwriting perspective, that makes sense. So he does that. It looks like the monster is defeated. And then in like classic horror movie fashion, the monster rises again and gets away. Right. But the thing that's weird to me about it is then the way that the monster is defeated is just that again like he just drags the monster back to the contraption powers it with his atomic breath again and just does it again and then this time it kills him it feels very like a little repetitive a little arbitrary stupid i would have used the word stupid (laughs) there i mean but but uh, sometimes i think about that in slasher films it's like well it didn't work that time but maybe just try the same thing again it'll probably work this time (laughs) now that you got them cornered that's also another thing i will say like i don't i don't really understand why it has to be an alien force that's coming to to earth yeah like godzilla is like supposedly an old dinosaur that is reactivated by the atomic blast and like yeah transmogrified into him and it's like again gives that great metaphor of humanity thinking that they can control things and this i feel like it could be the same thing of like humanity thinking that we have everything under that we have everything under control again we've created a new species because of our wanton waste so i don't know i didn't think they really need this to be an alien force that's coming from a different planet i agree i think that confusion is one of the things resulting from those two screenwriters that i mentioned earlier because i think there's a it would have been simpler to just say like, oh, yeah, he it rose from the smog. It rose from the pollution. But the alien thing was like, like you look at any of the movies in the series on either side of it. They're very alien heavy. Right. The next movie is an alien monster. The previous movies have been alien monsters. And I think there was this feeling of like, well, wait a minute. Like, how did a monster arise from the smog? And I'm sure that Thano was probably fine with just the idea of like, yeah, we did so much pollution that a monster happened and like you could just leave it like that like it doesn't matter but you have this (laughs) more old school screenwriter on the team who's like no 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 no. you have to explain it there has to be some it has to be radiation or or uh, an alien or or something and i so i think it's this push pull between wanting to explain too much but then you kind of are shooting yourself in the foot because the more you try to explain something like this the less 
sense it makes. Like, I think in movies like this, simplicity is your friend, you know? You know what they should have done at the end? They should have all started planting trees. And then <laughs> yeah. the trees create clean air. And then the uh, and then Hedera would have just died from uh, from the environment winning. That's what they should have got the ants involved. I, I, I don't know if you're joking, Dave, but I honestly think that's a good like idea. Like for a movie that's operating on a very simplistic allegorical yeah. level. Like, yeah, the to say that the, you know, the answer to pollution from technology and industry is that like our scientists are going to build a machine that fixes it. <laughs> More, yeah, more technology and industry. Yeah. It kind of confuses the 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 message, yeah, yeah. right? I, I actually think you have something there about it should have been more like nature based or something. Well, I thought when they went and started the funeral pyre, yeah. and had the rave, I thought that's where they were going at yeah. that point. You know, I didn't understand what the hippies uh, and, or I guess they're not hippies, but uh, the youngins are out doing in the woods, and uh, I thought they were going to end up in some yeah natural spiritual vibe, pray the monster away. And then they threw uh, fiery sticks and all died. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of like you don't know whose side this movie is on because they've, they've, they've included all of these, yeah, like the youths. And it's, it's clearly trying to tap into that late 60s, early 70s, like the youth are going to save yeah. us kind of vibe that was going on in the culture. But then like, you know, yeah, the teens just grab some torches and throw them at Hedera and it does nothing because why would that do anything? And then Hedera kills them all. And it's yeah. like, wait a minute. This isn't Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. Nothing is going to happen. But it's here. like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So are you on the side of the youth who want to change the world? Or are you on the side of like the middle aged people who are like, ah, singing away your problems ain't going to do anything? That's what I love. It's like those old people are just sitting around, like, what are these kids doing? Like, they're just like on the like weirdly peering at them. I'm like, what are they doing in there? Yeah, what was the old? Any context on that? Why were there old woods? woods I people? don't know. I've often so wondered, random. like, if they're supposed to be like kami or something. Like, if they're supposed to just be like spirits of the dead in like the mm. the grass or something. But yeah, this is a movie that I think suffers from, among other things, an overabundance of ideas. Like there's clearly a lot of things where someone went like, oh, that would be interesting. And things just sort of start, but then never really go anywhere because it's like, yeah. oh, but this movie's 70 minutes long and we got to have a monster fight in here. So uh, we'll just ignore that and move on with the, the monster fight. Like the fish heads thing. Like, wait a minute. Like, like, OK, like I get that it's the 60s and things are weird, but like. <laughs> Why was it relevant to the story to know that that character was tripping balls in the club when Hedera attacked, right? Like, yeah, he looked awful. Yeah, and he's the only one. I mean, no, I don't know what he was having on. a great time, and then yeah. he's having this bad yeah, yeah. trip. I, I think uh, I just had this thought that we could easily be talking about uh, The Phantom Menace and how George Lucas needed an editor as yes. well. Uh, this is kind of the same thing. They needed someone. Maybe the producer just be like, well... This sucks. You are not allowed to continue further on this. <laughs> you know, we got to we got to find a way to connect these things together because right, right. the more you talk about it Ben, the more I see these are two movies essentially that are yeah, stitched trying together. Yeah, to fight. Yeah, trying to fight against each Actually, other. Actually, um, it's like Godzilla and Hedera <laughs> and they're they're fighting um in I the like script it. as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I you're you're I think that's a very good way of looking at this movie, yeah. I can't wait to release the director's cut of these podcasts in 20 years. I want to know if there's anything that you enjoy, Dave, but before we do that, this is like the latest we've ever done this in the episode. Uh, here's the plot description for this movie. <laughs> an ever 
An ever-evolving alien life form from the dark gaseous nebula arrives to consume rampant pollution, spewing mists of sulfuric acid and corrosive sludge. Neither humanity or Godzilla may be able to defeat the toxic menace. Uh, and it stars Akira Yamanuchi as Dr. Toroyano, uh, Hiroyuki Kawase as Kenyano, uh, Toshie Kimura as Toshie uh, Yano, Kenpachiro Tatsuma as Kedra, and Har Haruo Nakajima as Godzilla. You mentioned earlier when you did your little watch through of the series that you noticed that there were recurring actors yes. over and over again. And that's mostly because Toho, even into the 60s and 70s, still worked on um, the studio system. Contracts. Oh, yeah, contracts so stuff, so it's yeah. just like these are the guys who are on contract right um none of those people are in this movie once again right this right. is a a new crop of people and in fact all of the actors in this movie were considered at toho to be um second stringers like the actors mm. you see in the other movies um are actors who you would also see in like a kurosawa film like they were yeah. they were the a string people it's just you know one week you're making a kurosawa movie the next week you're making a an ishira honda um, right. Sci-fi movie. Monster In fact, movie. it's it's worth pointing out that Ashira Honda and Akira Kurosawa were best friends. Um, they came up at the studio together and Honda's the second unit director on like a lot of Kurosawa's films, uh, including Ron. Um, they, they were really good friends. The original Godzilla is one of Kurosawa's favorite movies. But they were all at just a Toho together. That's the thing. They, they, they were all co-workers. The cast in this movie is was made up of the second stringers because this movie had the lower budget. So again, like this is uh, I remember Dave made a comment about like it, it like having a student film kind of feel mm -hmm. and and you know you're not too far off because it is kind of like if Kevin Feige was just like yeah uh, you know what I'm gonna be sick for the next few months I need someone else to make the next Marvel movie and just kind of like handed it off to some people like fresh out of UCLA <laughs> I was going to say, just grab some USCL, UCLA. Yeah, yeah. And we're just like, hey, hey you, you guys can make the next movie. It's fine. And then it turned out not to be fine. It's basically literally what Francis Ford Coppola did with THX. Right. <laughs> it's like, let's grab Lucas. He can do something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dave, is there anything in this movie that you enjoyed? I mean, you know, it was short. Um, <laughs> it, it ended, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, there are, I, like, I grew up watching a lot of anime and a lot of uh, sort of, 80s and 90s not just japanese films but like yeah just silly stuff so when you get people in bodysuits there is a funness about it you know this pro wrestling type of thing where they're patting each other on the shoulders daring the first guy to make yeah. the first move um but even that got weak because you know like godzilla is thrown into a pit and covered in toxic slime and all of a sudden the next cutscene, they're like wrestling down a mountain like, it's just yeah yeah it's just broken um yeah the fight continuity isn't very good yeah, it's very strange, and I, I, um, I don't know. The only thing that I liked about it, frankly, was, yeah, Wikipediaing during it, finding out the history of the franchise, finding about Japanese cultural sensitivities to both the atomic age and pollution, and then listening to you nerds talk about <laughs> your relationship with well, this franchise. But the film itself is, uh, is a waste of time, and uh, <laughs> unless you're going to be someone who's going to watch all eleven, right, and right. start to appreciate it. Hey, you should not watch this film. Like no, this should, I would agree. This should I would, definitely not yeah. be your first Godzilla movie. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no. I, I, I would agree with that for sure. Um, but the, the the other few things I just wanted to call out, like I actually really do like the design of Hedra. Like, yeah, for sure, it's goofy by t modern day standards, but I just like the look of it. It's a like, cool design. I, I, like, if you're making a smog sludge monster, it sort of yeah makes sense. 
I mean, I would like it if this was in like a modern, like if it was made in 2021, you can make it almost like Clayface from Batman where it's constantly oozing and stuff like that. I think that would be a little bit more of a cooler design. I love the scene though of it like actually sucking the smoke out of the smokestacks. I just think that's a cool image uh, inside of this film. Uh, so there's there's certain shots and certain things that I just enjoy, like even the melting into the bones, like uh, like there there's stuff here that's on display that's like oh yeah this is kind of some cool stuff going on. Yes, is this a great movie? No, <laughs> not by a long shot. But there's just stuff that I like while watching it. What uh, our listeners are hearing is the sound of a man clutching at straws. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's it's fair to say, you know, about the things that Kyle's talking about that there's like. You can definitely feel watching this movie that there's sort of a reach exceeding grasp yeah. quality to it where you can you can tell that like the director or the special effects guy or whatever had like a picture in their head of something very, very cool that they just like did not have maybe either the time or the money or the skill to really like pull off so that what, you know, Kyle's seeing in his head when he sees these things or me, for instance and you kind of made a comment about this earlier, Dave, like we're kind of seeing like we're watching the movie and then our brains are kind of filling in the gaps to see the version of it that we right. want to see. You like you could have. Yeah. yeah. Like we're giving it a lot of um, credit, right? We're giving it a lot of, of leeway. I will say about the fight scenes when you've been watching the whole series up to this point, one thing that you notice about this movie is um Hedera's the first opponent godzilla's had in like many many movies to give him any kind of trouble at all like the fact that godzilla like you know his eye gets taken out in it and he gets put into that pit of toxic sludge and he he's coughing and he's choking and he gets brought down a few times and stuff like most of the movies immediately before this one probably going all the way back to maybe the first ghidra movie like godzilla just kicks people's ass with very little trouble at all um it, it's you know the question of like will Godzilla f- defeat the monster the tension is more from like will Godzilla get there in time or will you know he manage to to make it to the place to fight the thing before the thing destroys us all kind of thing it's not once he's there fighting the monster there's no real question that Godzilla is going to defeat the monster so there is something unique in that this movie gives him more of a challenge than he's had and I mean obviously like pro wrestling whether you buy into that feeling of the characters actually challenged or not is a function of like how well does the story tell its story because if you are being meta about it like we all know that you know superman's gonna beat the bad guy we all know it's a godzilla movie of course he's gonna win it's so it's it's up to the movie to you know how well it can make you um suspend your disbelief and think that there's a threat or a danger and this is the first time really that they've been willing to show Godzilla getting his ass kicked in a while Mm -hmm. in this series. So I I do like that about this movie. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things here. If you're a big fan of the series, um, because it's so different, but I think if I was recommending a Godzilla movie to someone, unless that person was someone who just never shut the fuck up about pollution. Like, (laughs) like, you know, those people, if it was someone I knew who was just like, who I was like, Hey, want to go see a movie and they were like is it about how the earth is like we're constantly poisoning the earth (laughs) and i'd be like no and they'd be like well then i'm not interested it's like all right fine i guess we'll watch godzilla versus hetero but like (laughs) i I like the that idea it's like my two favorite movies an inconvenient truth (laughs) godzilla Godzilla versus (laughs) hetero 
you're at you're at a cafe and they're just like, all I want to talk about is cadmium. I've got a movie for you. Yeah. We're gonna yeah. We, we, come, come, come with, with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, fire up the old Criterion channel here. And yeah, exactly. We're done here. All right. Well, the machine has said that we do have to wrap this up. So let's go to some critics' choice here. Um, I had a hard time trying to find like contemporary reviews mm-hmm. when this movie came out, yeah. but I have one from 2014 by Tim Brayton from the website Antagony and Ecstasy, who says, Treasure every moment of this strange horror comedy cartoon attempt to rejuvenate an increasingly formulaic genre. <laughs> that was him being positive. Uh, in 2009, Rob Humanick of the website Projection Booth said, Enter Godzilla to save the day. Here, Cass is something of a wrestling icon. The glove, suffice it to say, doesn't fit, thanks in no small part to the lacking choreography on display. The image of the massive smog beast sucking fumes off of pollutant factory pipes proves almost indelible, but little else registers in this awkwardly uh, cautionary environmental warning. Yeah, I mean, that sounds a lot like what we've been... Yeah, what we've been talking about. I, I mean, I don't like disagree with anything. I, I kind of waver back and forth. I would love to know what Pauline Kale would have thought of yeah. this movie. To be perfectly spat, frank, but should have spat at the screen. Oh yeah, God. she would not have liked this. <laughs> but you know, these movies were basically ignored by American critics yeah. when they came out, um, and very much dismissed. Um, Some there is actually a few Godzilla movies I could find that Roger Ebert did review, but he always references the dub versions. Like yes. he does not talk about well, the original Japanese. That's because versions. until. Like, okay, just to use Hedera as an example, the first time you could watch this movie in Japanese in North America legally was 2004. Right. Right. Uh, And that's the case with like a lot of Godzilla movies. You were only watching the dubs. Um, In the case of this movie, the three main versions of this movie, there's um, the original Japanese version, uh, Gojira Tai Hedera. Um, There's then uh, what's called the international version. Uh, And Toho would make these international versions of all their movies where what they would do is they would ship the movie to Hong Kong and they would get it dubbed in English in Hong Kong by English actors (laughs) there. Um, And so if you ever see a Godzilla movie where it's English dubbed and all the actors have British accents for some reason, that's why, Uh, because it was dubbed in Hong Kong. And then there's the American version of this Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, which was um, released by AIP and dubbed in the U.S., And when AIP dubbed these movies in the US, they would do edits to them. They would cut some things. um, They would change some things. um, They would replace like scenes with Japanese text with English text. uh, They would, you know, make alterations in addition to dubbing it. They would also usually try to find Japanese American actors to dub them so that the accents sounded right Mm. in their minds. Um, In the case of this movie, they took the song in this film, the Japanese hippie james bond song about cadmium and they replaced it with a new song called save the earth that was written for the american english version that has english lyrics and stuff um, uh, bob dylan or yeah <laughs> no it actually became the musical hair yeah, exactly yeah. um when it comes to home video if you are watching this movie on vhs you are almost certainly seeing the american version if you're watching it on dvd they tended to use the international version. And the reason why is because the international version in the editing is identical to the Japanese version. It's just a dub. So on DVD, you just need to switch the audio track. And that's all you need to do. Right. Um, instead of it being two different edits. But the thing about the international version is you get an English dub that has the Japanese song. So if you grew up 
as an American kid hearing that English song, you can't actually hear that song on DVD. Um, and then the Blu-ray from Criterion is just the Japanese version. Right. Um, but regardless, yeah. So most of critics opinions of Godzilla, essentially contemporary critics would be informed by the dubbed versions and any changes that they would have made. And then, you know, other critics, other reviews that you're going to see online are going to be from fan sites that are going to have that inside baseball fan perspective that Kyle and I have that Dave's been talking about. It's called bias. I think the word is bias. bias. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you <laughs> or, have to, and, or I like to call it context. And you have to, you have to keep that in mind. It, like I said earlier, like it's the same thing if you're reading a review of like a wine on like a website where it's like, you have to understand that this critic like is going to bring all these things to it because they're a wine critic. And like, you're probably going to have this wine. And you're going to be like, yeah, it was fine. It was wine. Dave is Dave is wine enough for me. I have to say so. <laughs> um, wine or whiny. The, yeah. <laughs> I will say that among Godzilla fans, this is still a divisive entry. People either love this movie or hate this movie. It's, it's very much like there are still a lot of like, I think the the thing about the big barometer here on did you enjoy this movie or not, I think is what do you think about Godzilla flying? Because Godzilla fans <laughs> on the majority hate hate that. it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also people I see online who grew up in the 70s or whatever as kids seeing this who think that's like that's the fun part of the movie to them because it's the like meme that they remember or whatever. That's the funny thing, apparently, I only found this recently, is that on the DVD release, remember on DVDs when you could like select chapters and just jump to parts of the movie, the flying scene is literally subtitled, something you don't see every day, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is absolutely hilarious. Um, this brings us, though, to the question we always ask each week, uh, does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? How would you answer that, Ben? No, it doesn't hold up, but it is still culturally relevant, and I wish it wasn't, in the mm. sense that it's, you know, let's see, uh, 40, no, God, it's 50 years later, isn't it? Yeah, it's 50 oh, years oh, old. Oh, God. Um, well, anyways, it's 50 years later, and, you know, environmentalism is still a hot bot hot button topic i mean sure. less so the pollution issue that we see in this movie because this movie is mostly about like tossing trash into the ocean and stuff like that which yeah. has gotten controlled a bit more you know um climate change and uh you know releasing toxins into the atmosphere and all of this this is all still a problem that we're dealing with godzilla didn't solve this yeah. problem for us 50 years ago so does it hold up no is it still culturally relevant yes but i wish it wasn't how about you dave i'm gonna go no and no i think ben is right in that we don't respect our environment and i think that there will be some resonance uh with not even just activists with the general public now that we are not in sync with nature but i think the messaging and the tone of this uh, just break break any kind of uh, conversation that will come out of it. it mm. You can't watch this film and actually, again, unless you're a Godzilla fan or somebody who's actually mm. going to try to research the background of why they even made this film, this is not going to spur a conversation about 
my relationship with uh, composting um, <laughs> or consuming, right? The manufactured textiles and shit like that, where mm-hmm. I'm not going to care. So um, yeah. I, I don't like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I like, I, I don't know. I'm probably going to agree. I'm, I'm split. I don't think it holds up, although I enjoy the movie. So I don't know what that says about it. Is it still culturally relevant? I have to, I think, agree with Ben. I think that it unfortunately is in, in what it's talking about. Um, I also think it does influence later entries into the Godzilla franchise, interestingly enough. Um, there's another one, a much later one called Godzilla, Godzilla, Godzilla versus Biollante, which I uh, also uh, kind of like, which is like a big that's my, plant monster thing. That's my favorite one outside of the original and Shin Godzilla. That's it. it it's yeah. an environmental movie, but it's also much better than this movie. Um, yeah, no, it if is. If I was like, if someone said like, hey what's a Godzilla movie with an environmentalist theme that I should watch? I would hand them that movie before I would hand them this sure. movie. That one's it's from 19 conversation. Yeah. yeah. That's a weird conversation. To have, but, uh, that, that movie's from 1989. So certainly oh. the special effects and things are on a much better yeah. level than this. Um, so yeah, it influenced, I will say about the cultural relevance where I would say no on cultural relevance is all of the like, very specifically 1971 hippie lava lamp like the the lava lamp looks like the sludge that's coming down the stairs at the same time so there's yeah Uh, by the way (laughs) straws man just keep uh, grasping also also returns back to our favorite topic from 1971 uh not giving a shit about animals and covering that cat in the slime yeah (laughs) that probably wouldn't happen I am interested to know what we're eventually going to rate this, but that is what Dave, Ben, and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to KyleAndDaveVSTheMachine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. And if you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. Uh, if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. Also, we do uh, YouTube videos uh, every week as well. And you can talk about how uh, Dave's mother treated him, apparently, because that was our latest comment. <laughs> Got weirdly specific. But let's get to the rating of this movie. So, Ben, um, I hate doing this to guests. <laughs> Your rating doesn't really matter or impact the grade here. But if you were asked out of five what you would give this, what do you think? Ooh, um, 2.5. So I guess straight down the middle. Straight down the middle. Dave? I don't know. It's not the worst movie we watched this year. This year has no. dug the yeah, trench pretty deep, but uh, yeah, I might, I might go up to, uh, yeah, I might even say a two. It's weird. That two. seems pretty optimistic. <laughs> yeah, should, given the comments that you've made in the episode. Yeah, I yeah. should go down maybe a half, but uh, I'll give it a two just because uh, we did have a good conversation around yeah. the film. So if you're hanging around with uh, people who care about Godzilla, this movie has some yeah. impact. Yeah. You know, I didn't say this specifically at the beginning, but I actually did rewatch all of the Godzilla movies up to this point. So I just have that on the brain. And I found that uh, I actually started using Letterboxd about that time. So I could see the ratings I had given, you know, eight years ago. And some of them went down on my second rewatch. A couple of them actually went up by like a half star grade. This one stayed the same. 
Um, I am going to be the most positive of the people on this podcast, but just by a little bit, I'm giving it a three. I actually tend to like the. I'm just more positive on this movie, although I am way negative on some other movies more than other people are. So uh, just for my sensibilities, that's what I am going to give it, which does give it a 2.5. So Dave, okay, this is tying with a bunch of things. Uh, so from top to bottom, we have the Andromeda Strain, Straw Dogs, the Omega Man Summer of 42. So where would you put this movie in relation to all of those, Dave? I don't know. I mean, uh, Ben brought up <laughs> earlier, we, we struggle with this, with this podcast in particular. How do you compare this to The Godfather? I don't know. They're fundamentally different films. I, I agree. Like, this three is far different than the rating they gave the Straw Dogs versus Summer of 42. Yeah. Like, it's, they're very different things that I'm, I'm rating on here. Like, my, I'll say, Dave, like, my impulse... Put at the bottom. I don't know. I, frankly, well, either at the bottom or above summer forty-two. I don't know. It depends on how you want to put it there. You know, we could put above summer forty-two because summer forty-two is just so boring. And I know we got <laughs> hate mail about that film too, but like, it's just so like I don't remember much about that movie. Right. And, there, there's two shots I love in that movie, but yeah. by yeah, it's not not much happens in, yeah, in that movie. I'm okay with that. I mean, I yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, let's okay. do that. I think the biggest caveat to anyone who's interested in watching this movie to say going in is like, it's an acquired taste. Like, oh, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, like it's, it's like you don't throw if it, it, don't throw people into the deep end on, <laughs> on stuff like this. Yeah. Right. Like, no, yeah. you have to like inch them in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could go like a very disgusting joke right there, but I'm I not was just I was waiting for it. <laughs> as soon as you said refrain. inch it in and uh, <laughs> just the tip, I thought you were going to go. Oh, yeah. I so, entering our list at the number, entering our list at the new number nineteen position is Godzilla vs. Hedera. I should have just found a couple of thirteen-year-olds to host this show. It, it's better than Million Dollar Duck, right, Dave? We can yeah, all agree I, on that. So, no, yeah. better than what? Zarvik. Million Dollar, dollar duck. duck. I've never even heard of this. What is oh, this? Don't look it, it up. It, well, it is one of it is one of the three movies Gene Siskel walked out of, um, <laughs> which is that's why uh, I think the machine made us watch it. It's not even a movie. It is awful. You can watch it on Disney Plus if you want to, but I would I would say not to because it's a waste of time. Oh no. Um. So, you know, we are entering the spooky season. Of course, it's October right now as we're releasing this episode. So I'm really interested what the machine has in store uh, as we you know, creep up to Halloween. So I'm just going to push this button here. It's almost like you have some insight in how the machine works. I don't know. I, no, I don't have. I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. <laughs> I am super excited. This is great. Uh, next week, Dave, we are going to be watching Duel. Oh, we're going to watch Steven Spielberg's Spielberg? first movie released into theaters. That's exciting. Duel. Lucas and Spielberg. We're getting, uh, we're getting all the They're two first films, all, both in the same year. Ben, do you have any uh, thoughts and feelings on Duel? It's really good for what it is, which is like a nice, tight, sure. little, like, <laughs> focused thriller. Yeah, That's exciting. I'm excited. It's one, it. of yeah. my, it's one of my Spielberg blind spots. I think I've seen everything except for five of his movies. So, like, this is one of the ones I haven't seen. It's, it feels like Spielberg. Like, as early on in his career and as cheap as it was made right um it, it feels like spielberg whereas his next like his first big um a movie i guess because duel was made as a duel was made as a tv, TV movie, movie and then released, released to theaters. The theaters yeah his first like real big a movie um sugarland express like doesn't right. feel like a spielberg movie to me but duel that's does. what i've heard yeah, yeah duel feels yeah. like it yeah 
All right. Uh, well, to wrap things up here, I'm actually just curious. Uh, what are your thoughts then on like the, the latest Godzilla stuff from America, like Godzilla Kong, Godzilla King of Monsters? It's, it's fun. Like Godzilla King of the Monsters, for instance, translates the feeling that you have in your head when you watch these movies as a kid to the big screen and the big budget really well. Like, you know, coming back to what we've talked about with this movie, like those current Godzilla movies like Godzilla King of the Monsters are are basically the versions of those movies that you saw in your head when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the everything's done with, you know, all that Hollywood sheen and polish. But I think that those movies don't really have much soul to them. Yeah. I think that there's something about the Japanese cultural experience that anchors those movies in such a specific way that when they get taken outside of that context, they lose something. Even when, you know, like these new movies have tried to be very respectful of the original series and the original movies, you know, they're not like the Emmerlich movie, which just kind of shat on everything. I think Americans fundamentally lack the cultural foundation. To just no, just stop there. That's good. They just lack <laughs> yes. culture. Yeah. I'm okay with that too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but la- wow. lack the cultural foundation to make these movies have the feeling behind them that, that the originals have. Um, right. Even if they're far better produced, far better acted, far better special effects, way more money thrown into them. Um, yeah, they're, yeah. They're just, they just kind of are a little soulless to me. They're fun, but that's it. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, I did like, for whatever, if, talking about the pro wrestling stuff, the the Kong and, and Godzilla fights in the last movie. Kong vs. Godzilla is very parts. pro wrestling. It's very, uh, very super pro wrestling. wrestling. Yeah. That was such a fun movie. Yeah. My son loved it. Yeah.